Hello everyone and welcome to yet another exciting episode of our podcast, Books and Beverages. My name is Fred Kumalo, editor of City Press Voices, under which the podcast is broadcast. Now in the studio today we are joined by the illustrious uh, novelist, academic, short story writer, playwright, and many other things besides, which things we shall speak about, and I'll have to, he'll have to take some tough questions about the other thing that I haven't disclosed yet. The name is Dr. Sipio Maklori Mahala. Welcome to City Press Books and Beverages show. Thanks, I'm doing well. Well, I suppose I'm the cheapest date you've had on the show. Because <laughs> the, the only beverage we have here is, is, is a fruit juice, <laughs> yeah, which is very much appreciated. Great to be here, finally. Thank you. As, as the name says, books and beverages. So what we normally do, for those of, our, of you who are joining us for the first time, we invite writers and we ply them with their beverages of the stronger kind. But, of course, Dr. Mahala doesn't touch the stronger that type of drink. So we, um, <laughs> we had to downgrade, you know, and so we've supplied him with some fruit juice. I'm a cheap date, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said earlier, our illustrious writer in studio today uh, is, is, is well known because he writes, as I said, across different genres. Before we get to the serious stuff, now we get to the question or the, or the issue that I alluded to earlier. Such an illustrious man, such a super achiever, just happens to be a supporter of a, a failing uh, soccer team, Kaiser Chiefs. I mean, how do you reconcile the two? I mean, <laughs> a, an intellectual who supports a Kaiser Chiefs, what a contradiction. <laughs> Come on, you must upgrade to. <laughs> to the... <laughs> this is very unfair. <laughs> but all the progressive people, uh, all the progressive thinkers, uh, should support Kaiser Chiefs because from the beginning, uh, the founding of the club, uh, you know, was quite. Uh, a revolutionary act, and uh, we continue um, when they think we we go on, we, we, we get up, uh, you know... Um, on penalties. <laughs> ten triple one is going to rise again in him with us. <laughs> yeah, 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 thank you. Now, um, right, on a more serious note now, let's talk about... Okay, uh, this man's journey is varied and very long, so I don't think we can exhaust everything in one in, in 30 minutes uh, that we have at our disposal. So we're going to ask him to talk us through uh, two major projects that are currently the talk of the town. The one is the play, the stage play Block Modi, about Block Modisani and uh, his American friend, uh, Langston Hughes. And the other, of course, is the ambitious biography of... Uh, the literary and journalistic uh, icon, Ken Temba. They both were released this year. Tell those of our listeners who are not familiar with uh, who Ken Temba was, what he means to uh, local journalism and the world of letters, and what this book that you've written sets out to do. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, well, first of all, I... I've had a, a relationship with Ken Temba um, since uh, 2002. 
So uh, it's been 20 years. Um, my attraction to him was obviously um, uh, the, 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 the story, uh, uh, The Suit. Um, and in 2002, I wrote The Suit Continued. So, you know, I discovered at that point, because after writing The Suit Continued, that there wasn't much written about him as a person. Yes. Yet, uh, whenever we talk about the history of journalism, particularly, you know, what we would call black journalism in South Africa, Ken Temba is always mentioned there because uh, the, the, the drum period, the, the 1950s uh, drum having been found in uh, 1951 as, as, a, as a magazine that targeted black readers. Um, so it, it was a defining period uh, in South African journalism and, uh, and in the cultural space as well. You know, uh, but to my disappointment, that there was no definitive study on Ken Temba. Yes. Um, you know, there was him no, as a person and him also as his, a person and also his contribution. Yeah. The analysis of his contribution. Yeah. Well, um, there was mention here and there, but mm. there was no focused study mm. on on him. Yes. You know. So I, I started, you know, talking to people who had known Ken Temba personally. You know, I had interactions with the likes of Louis Ngozi, Eskiam uh, Pahlele, and I worked very closely with, uh, with uh, Brawili. Mm-hmm. So it was after the... Brawili pa- is Khosisile. Yes, that's right. is <laughs> Yes. You know, so it was after the passing of Ngozi in, in 2010 that I realized that, you know, all of the stories that he was sharing, the anecdotes that he was sharing, mm. uh, I never recorded. And I realized that many other people, you know, um, were, who knew Ken Temba were going and without us recording those stories. So I started speaking to people like... Uh, uh, Nadine Godima and Dade Don Matera, and basically one interview led to 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 the next. And at the end of the day, I, I had done uh, about thirty interviews or so. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I I then pursued that as a scholarly study. Mm-hmm. Um, that's you know how I got my PhD, graduated in twenty eighteen. Yes, and then uh, my PhD won an award uh, to be converted into into um, a, a book, uh, the NIHSS award. And mm-hmm. I thought it would be just copy and paste, but um, <laughs> <laughs> writing a book uh, was a was a whole you know different uh, kettle of fish, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it it took a lot out of me, and I must say I doubt I would have finished it uh, on time uh, if it was not for the lockdown. Because okay. for the first okay. time okay. Uh, in my adult life, I was sort of I had a certain level of control of my schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked from home. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I I could work throughout the night, and then go to bed when other people are getting ready to wake up. Mm-hmm. So the lockdown really allowed me space to, mm-hmm. to, to work on so many projects, including Bloke and his American Bantu. Great, great. Uh, but there's another very important work that, that um, speak to the legacy of Ken Temba, which we haven't uh, referred to, The House of Truth. Tell us about that, the stage play. Yeah, the House of Truth is an offshoot of my of my research, academic research. Mm-hmm. You recall at the time I, I I was working for government on the one hand, and on the other uh, pursuing an academic project. The two combined are quite toxic. So I needed an outlet. I needed a you know to find something else to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I 
as I was doing the research, I could see Kentemba's life unfolding right before me. So I wrote, uh, I wrote uh, a play, uh, which was my first professional play called um, uh, The House of Truth, and got Brasilo uh, Maikangobe to perform it. Um, and it, it premiered at the National Arts Festival in my hometown of Makanda in 2016. Mm. Yeah, and then had a national tour, which was quite successful. Yeah, I, I watched it at the Market Theatre. It was really, really scintillating. Uh, yeah, and uh, Asilo was in his element, yeah, yeah, at the top of his game. It was wonderful. wonderful. Yeah, it, it was quite exciting because Rasilo um, had um, performed the very first adaptation of uh, Ken Timber's The Suit. The Suit, yes. yes. yes, yes so yes, I approached yes. him not to, to, to perform the play because I thought... Uh, being such a seasoned actor, he wouldn't want to to you know uh, act in a in a play by a novice. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted his opinion on the script. Yes. And when he said I, I can act this thing, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it yeah. was it was much more than a bargain for. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that set you on your way to gave you the confidence uh, to to write plays. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, writing plays is something... I, I studied plays at school, um, and I, I grew up in, in Makanda watching plays. And going to the National Arts Festival, I always had this vision that, you know, I want to be more than what my peers were. I want to be more than what my father was to the National Arts Festival. Because, um, you know, the locals at the National Arts Festival at the time would either be security guards or car guards or uh, busy at, at the gate with ticketing. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be part of a production, you know, so uh, having been attending the National Arts Festival since 1988, uh, for me it was, it was the defining moment uh, or rather uh, my life sort of came full cycle when I went to the National Arts Festival to headline the festival. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've done that twice. Yeah, so yeah, far. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kudos to you. Kudos yeah. to you. Now, Bloke Modisani, people who are not into journalism or, or history might not know who this person was and why his name was, was uh, so important. Could you tell us about him and the play that you have written about uh, his um, career and relationship with the American poet Langston Hughes? Yeah, mm. uh, I have obsession with the lives of journalists uh, because they document life and in turn I try to document them just like Ken Temba. Mm. Blue Mutisane, I, ha I had that particular interest in him uh, because at least unlike Ken Temba, he, he managed to document his personal life mm. in his autobiography, Blame Me on History. Yes. Uh, but Bloke was born in Sofia Town. Um, he, he worked for drum. He joined drum, I think, in 1954, just shortly after, after Ken Temba. And, you know, while working as, as a journalist, he, he was also fascinated with films. Actually, his own name, Bloke, was, was uh, taken from a film. Um, <laughs> And he, he started acting just before he left. He, he featured in Ethel Fugard's uh, No Good Friday. Yes. Uh, he was part of the original crew. 
you'd recall later on, um, uh, Louis Ngozi would act in the same play. Uh, but he also, uh, together with Louis Ngozi, they have uh, writing credits in, uh, in Comeback Africa. Comeback Africa. Yeah. Uh, featuring Miriam Makeba, yeah. Ken yeah, Temba, yeah, Ken Temba and, yes, and the yes. two of them, yes, you know. Yes. So, but whilst uh, Bloke was more well known as a journalist in South Africa, when he went to uh, England where he was exiled, he became well known, more well known as an actor there. Mm-hmm. You know, he featured in a number of, of uh, plays, one of them being Blacks. Uh, in London, he he featured in a number of films uh, in, the, in, in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he appeared in a, or rather, he, he wrote of over 20 uh, radio plays for the BBC. Mm. And he featured in BBC more than more than forty times, mm, you mm, know. Mm, mm. Um, so he 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 on the one hand he wrote radio plays, but on the other he also acted in some of the plays, sure. radio plays. Sure. So uh, that's the person we're looking at. But the interesting thing, or, or what I found most fascinating for me, was the relationship he struck with uh, Langston Hughes. Um, I came across their letters in the U.S. Um, between 1960 and 1967, they exchanged over 50 letters. And Langston Hughes, I mean, had been corresponding with so many people all across the world, mm-hmm. uh, from uh, Nendi Azigiwe to Leopold Singor to Chino Achebe mm-hmm. to Eskiam Pahlele, uh, Todd Machigiza, many people. But having gone through all of those letters, I felt like he had a much more intimate relationship with uh, with Bloke Modisani. Mm-hmm. And this is seen, you know, the kind of details that they share and how much when, when uh, Bloke sort of disappears for a week or two, mm-hmm. Langston gets so frustrated. Mm-hmm. He misses this this man and, you know, that they had, they gave each other uh, ter- terms of endearment. Uh, they would call each other, um, Bloke would call him uh, my American Bantu, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Langston would call uh, him uh, my favorite Bantu, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So they had that kind of relationship mm-hmm. where they exchanged gifts, stories, gossip, and I, I thought, you know, I find that quite fascinating, the relationship, but also the idea of celebrating friendship between men and men mm. is something that hasn't been done. The brotherly love. Yeah, yeah, the brotherly love that they mm-hmm. had, mm-hmm. you know, was really, really amazing for me. Yep. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So the play, um, I saw the iteration that was performed at the UJ, University of Johannesburg, and subsequent to that it went to the National uh, Festival in Makanda and uh, Scotland. Yeah. So tell us about the reception uh, locally and internationally. Yeah, it went to Makanda, and then after Makanda, it went to the State Theatre. Mm. Um, and then after State Theatre, it went to Edinburgh, which is one of the largest festivals uh, in the world. Mm. And, um, you know, Edinburgh is, is huge to such an extent that some of the productions barely ever get uh, reviews, you know. Um, so it, it it was an honour and... and, and uh, an affirmation, in a sense, for me, that ably unknown actors, unknown history, uh, to a large extent, and basically a new production going there, but getting such great reception, um, 
they they came back with a with a four star rating, wow. you know, uh, wow. which is something very rare to happen. I don't know how many South African productions have gotten a four star from Edinburgh before. Mm. And this production was directed by Silo Magiganube. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, after our experience of working together, mm. him acting, I said, um, because I, I, I could see the way he, he immerses himself uh, in the script, mm -hmm. that f for me, acting is not just recital, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want them to live that experience. And I thought could, Brasilo could, could be good at that, because for me, he, he's not just a director, he's also a teacher. Mm. You know, he would sit with the guys, explaining the history. You know, the the, the con give the context and make them feel. I mean, he would really, in in explaining the story, try to make them feel uh, the, the 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 atmosphere of of the sixties, mm -hmm. feel what was happening in the country or or the two characters where they come from. Okay, okay. So going back to, to this stuff that you do on a daily basis, I'm not saying you don't write regularly, of course you do, uh, but to put a bread on the table, you also teach at the University of Johannesburg. Uh, could you tell us about that and how that feeds into your creativity, if it does? Well, I don't know how it feels in my creativity as yet because it's pretty new. Um, I, I started teaching um, in, in the second semester. I joined uh, UG earlier this year, um, uh, in April this year, mm -hmm. uh, mid-semester. So, um, but it's, it's been quite an, an exciting journey for me. Uh, first of all, I, I, I was trained as a teacher. I ran away from it um, about when how many years ago? 20-something years ago, 1998. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, and I used to be a tutor at, at VEDS um, some 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So to go back to the classroom now and uh, more confident in what I do and being more deliberate, mm -hmm. you know, not because um, uh, I'm just looking for a job, but mm -hmm. it being something because for... For the years that I've been a writer, I've been doing workshops, I've been interacting with audiences and all, all the time. Yes. And for me to go back to the classroom to teach what I do on a, on a daily basis, I feel like my life is complete. Wow. Unlike before that, wow. you know, I, I've had to separate my work from, from what I do uh, for fun. Mm -hmm. So everything now is complete. I feel like I'm cheating. I'm getting paid for doing what I enjoy. <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, you also publish uh, Imbiza Literary Journal. For those who are not familiar with the, the, the title, it's called Imbiza, uh, not the uh, Isizulu version of Imbiza, the one that you use as medicine, okay? Imbiza as in Isitosa Imbiza, meaning pot. Uh, so so the, the, the journal is a melting pot of, of um, creative ideas. And Imbiza has been going on for how long now? Well, um, uh, for almost two years now, mm -hmm. um, because we started in the beginning of last year. The idea came up during the, the, the lockdown. You know, uh, the lockdown gave one time to think and reflect. Mm. And I was like, 
you know, from time to time, I mean, you release a book and another one and another one. Mm -hmm. But uh, what legacy are you, are, are you leaving? You know, and I've written papers where I motivate, um, you know, the, the importance of journals, how many writers, um, you know, emerged through journals. Yes. And looking around, there was no such a journal, yeah. you know, and we've been bemoaning the, the, the fact that, you know, uh, literary journals are, are not doing well and, you know, hardly survive. And, and they are not there, you know, the, the, the positive of such. So I was like, okay, why don't I come up with, with this thing, you know, put all the ideas that I have and see how, how it goes. And um, it's, it's really exciting. Now I'm working on the fifth version, on, on the fifth edition. Mm -hmm. Like every edition, you have over 30 writers contributing, uh, some getting published for the very first time. Mm -hmm. And that is the kind of... Uh, Legacy that I would like to to to, to leave someday to say, uh, as a scholar, I I published my first article in journal or in Imbiza. I published my first poem, my first short story, or even my first review in, in such a journal, and it's been really exciting because uh, there's been so much uh, engagement, you know, uh, since since we started um, uh, publishing. Right, yeah. yeah. What you've just said resonates with me. Um, what you've just said about creating a platform for, for new and upcoming writers, because I'm a beneficiary or a product of that uh, situation program. I was first published in Staff Rider, uh, Literary mm. Journal. I was 19 years of age. And that mm. gave me, seeing my name in print... That was 1971. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me, don't give my, my age away now. <laughs> so, I mean, seeing my name in print gave me that confidence. I wasn't even a working journalist by then. I was mm. a, still a student. It gave me the confidence to say, okay, I can do this thing. Mm. So I see um, that the intervention that you're making, and I, I promise you it will bear fruit because um, mm. yeah, people need those outlets because uh, we don't just emerge as as this novelist who's mm. just, yeah, we need encouragement, we need criticism, and it starts with small pieces, smaller pieces, short stories, poems, and uh, academic Absolutely, papers. and mm. part of my frustration was was, was academic uh, journals, you know. Uh, one writes an article today, and you to appear two years later. Yeah. So, yeah. I was like, we, you know, we needed a regular platform. Not that things are microwaved, but um, you need a platform that publishes more regularly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, Spio, as I said earlier in the, in the introduction, is this multi-talented, multifaceted, um, all-rounder, um, academic writer, short story. And so his novels uh, include When a Man Cries. That was your first novel. Yeah, that's right. And uh, mm. he wrote that in English, and then he self-translated it into his Corsa. I rewrote it in his Corsa. Oh, yes, of course, of course. Yeah, because <laughs> translation is not accurate, really. Yeah. Because yeah, it, it was a different journey altogether. And you've also um, published a numerous collections of short stories. Mm -hmm. And uh, to be fair and honest with you, you are the forerunner in terms of resuscitating the South African short story in South Africa. Because uh, there was a slump with the demise of uh, Staff Rider and, and those journals. People who were writing short stories got discouraged and moved on to something else or stopped writing. But then you 
re you resuscitated this thing when you published uh, um, African of Delights, and the people said, "Oh, it's doable." And uh, I'm also I was also uh, encouraged by by that, and uh, and uh, publishers that's inspired the publishing industry as well to say, "No, this genre is not dead; it can be resuscitated." Yeah. Yeah. Well, interestingly. Um when a man cries was a series of short stories, and um, that are interrelated. And I knew at that time that mm. as a new writer, no one was gonna publish um, uh, uh, my short stories. A collection of short stories. Yeah. So I just had to rewrite it um, and and try to connect those stories. And in the end, I made them a novel. Um, so that's one aspect of things. And then uh, African delights. Now. Now that I was published, publishers were approaching me for new material. Yes. And I was working on short story collection. But at the time, most publishers in South Africa had a disclaimer on their websites that we don't publish short stories, including, by the way, Jakana, who eventually published the collection. Yes. So I approached Jakana had approached me before asking if I'm working on anything. Mm -hmm. You know, I said I am, and then I approached them. I said, well, I have this short story collection. Mm -hmm. And they looked at it, and despite their disclaimer on the website, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> they accepted it, and, yeah. and uh, yeah, that set the ball rolling for me. And um, apparently it, it opened uh, you know, the, the way for, for, for many other writers. Oh, yeah, and it inspired a number of um, local short story competitions. We've got short sharp stories, we've got Africa Day short mm. story competition, and all those are producing new, new um, uh, unearthing new talent. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it was a great intervention. Thank you very much. We have here Dr. Spiwo Mahala from the University of Johannesburg, academic, novelist, short story writer, playwright, and publisher of Imbiza Literary Journal, and many other things that I think he might still be cooking in his creative mind. It was a pleasure to be with you, to celebrate your literary journey, and uh, of course congratulate you on uh, these many major achievements that are an inspiration to those of us who love and books in South Africa and the African diaspora as a whole. Well, thank you. Uh, I can promise you that the pot is full. I'm not cooking anything. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just enjoy his output. Um, his name is Dr. Sipio Mahala. Go out there, get his books. Uh, they are all over the place. You can buy them online at bookstores and, of course, the literary journal, um, the latest um, edition, has got Brazaik uh, Smda on the cover. And so it's, it's, it's a cornucopia of uh, literary food. And I might brag, if I would be allowed to brag on my show, that I was the first person on the cover of, um, of Imbiza, <laughs> the first edition. <laughs> I'm wearing a suit there. Yeah, that's when and you used to dress up. <laughs> <laughs> No, thank you very much, Supriwo, and uh, congratulations on your output. Thanks a lot, Mdungu. Thank you. Books and Beverages, Fred Kumalo. <laughs>